stepped into an interesting day. Today we're, we're answering uh, questions, sex questions. <laughs> yeah, we're answering sex questions that you have submitted over the last couple weeks. And we brought in an expert. <laughs> this is my wife, Jennifer. We've been married 29 plus years. She's my sweetheart. She's my best friend. She is. Yeah. Mother of all of our children. <laughs> anyway, let's move right along. If you are visiting today, this is not our normal Sunday. We don't usually set up here together around table and drink coffee, and we usually don't talk about sex. So this is kind of an unusual Sunday, so just relax. We're not going to put anybody on the spot, ask questions. Anything like that, we have everything written out word for word so we don't mess it up. Um, we also understand that sometimes talking about a topic like this can be a little awkward and can be a little uncomfortable. So we have people praying even in the middle of the service that just will, you'll just be okay talking about this because you know what? It's talked about all the time. It's talked about in media, shouting at you, in groups that you're around. It's just not generally here that you hear about it. So, so just relax. It's, it's, it's okay. It's an okay topic to talk about. It's something that actually God designed and created. So it's really the right place to be talking about it. A couple things before we get in there. Uh, the questions. This is a PG-13 message today for sure. And so if you have little ones with you right now would be the right time to go check them in the Kids Connect. If they're junior high age, I would probably encourage them to stick around. I think, and here's why I say that, is because I think younger and younger the conversations are getting. And so this is a good place to have some of the conversations we're going to have right now. Uh, the other thing is why talk about uh, sex in church? And, and really, it's real simple. Is it, it's really hard to find a clear understanding of right and wrong. And again, we're not saying we're having experts, but I do feel like we have a relationship with God and a revelation of God, His Scripture, that helps us. And it's important, like we're doing today, to just lay it out on the table. Let's, let's not ignore things. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's deal with stuff that needs to be dealt with and, and, and be okay with that. Let's go for it. Let's, let's be okay with that. And so there's some disclaimers, though. A couple disclaimers. We are not experts. Um, we're not going with the popular opinion or thought. What we are going to go with is Bible is going to be our, our final authority. Obviously, since God designed sex, shouldn't he know best how and when and what it should look like? So that's going to be our basis and our biblical guideline for everything we talk about today is going to be the, is going to be the Bible. Um, some of the questions we have grouped together because they are similar or the wording has been changed just a little bit from the questions you asked just to provide some greater clarity. I think back to when um, I had the sex talk with two out of our three girls. And it was interesting on personalities, how we perceive it. One girl was like, oh, my gosh, Mom, I really don't want to hear this. No, please. Oh, are we done yet? Oh, my gosh. And the other one was like, could you turn that page back again? I want to see that one more time. <laughs> so we all perceive sex in a little bit different way. So however you receive it, our prayer today is that you will see it through God's eyes mm -hmm. when it's all said and done, that you will see it as a very beautiful thing. So I guess I start out. You, you're, you're on. And my notes say, let's start out with one easy question. And this is the easy one. Is role play okay? Okay, that's awkward. I'm like, I don't think that's a real easy question. But okay, here we go. Um, is role play okay, okay? What does God say about married couples' activities in the bedroom? The answer is there is no clear commitment that condemns or condones, commandment that condemns or condones what happens in the bed of a married couple. 
Hebrews 13.4 does say the marriage bed should be kept pure, meaning um, free from immorality, to refrain from all acts or thoughts that incite desire not in accordance with one's virginity or one's marriage vows, i.e., breaking it down to layman's terms, there should be no sharing of partners, no third parties, no animals. All right. Okay, we're just getting blunt, all right? This is going to be really a blunt conversation on sex. And if my face is red, you're right. It is red. Okay. Um, what about fantasy play? Okay. Um, we have to be careful not to chase fantasies instead of intimacy. Hear this part really clear. We can fall in love with the idea more than the reality of our spouse. Be really careful with that. We can fall in love with the idea more than the reality of our spouse. Next. What is, next question. What is the biblical answer to having more than one wife? Uh, polygamy. Is polygamy okay? And right now that's kind of a popular topic because there's even TV shows, I think, that kind of make it seem like or feel like, well, that's okay in kind of a weird kind of twisted way. And so what scriptures say, and here, here's kind of a quick answer. The Bible is, is not just a list of commandments or moral stories. I mean, that's not what the Bible is. Actually, the Bible is a revelation of a God that has a very de deep desire to have a, an intimate relationship with his creation and all the mess-ups, craziness, stupidness of that story, all right? So many times, like if you read in the Old Testament, you'll see polygamy. You will see a, a, a biblical character with a lot of different spouses, right? And you're like, well, man, it's got to be all right. It's in the Bible. No, it's kind of one of those things where it's part of the story, but it's not what God intended to be the right part of the story, meaning the, the pure thing that God was looking for. So let me just read my notes. So I don't mess it up here. So polygamy in the Old Testament is not something God has condoned, but instead it is a picture of our brokenness. If you do a study on polygamy in the Old Testament, you will find that almost every time it's mentioned, there is a relational disaster connected to it. All right? Just, just give you a heads up. So it isn't like it's going like this. It's going like, hey, that's part of the brokenness. Okay? So, so just to understand that part of the story, biblical marriage has always been defined as one man and one woman for life. That's why you find even in the New Testament, Paul instructing Timothy to find leaders who are the husbands of one wife, not multiples. Okay? So go ahead. Oh, here's another one. I didn't know I had two of them. But why do sexual thoughts still creep into my mind even though I love my wife dearly? Am I am committed to her totally and stay away from anything that would cause me to sin? The simple answer is this. Every one of us has within us this human nature. I like to call it the flesh dog. And the flesh dog is alive. The flesh dog is active. And the flesh dog is hungry. Okay. You just got to get that. You got to know that that's part of the story, all right? And that's going on. So, so to think that somehow it just gets, the switch gets flipped off when I get married and I don't ever have this, that's not part of the story. So what has to happen is we have to train our minds, which is a big part of this flesh dog experience, to focus on what's healthy and whole. And often, here's, here's an important part, it's not just enough to stay away from something. I need to replace it with something better. And see, sometimes people, what they do is, well, I don't stay, I don't, I'm not part of that, but I'm not focusing on the right thing that I should be feeling my mind and my spirit and my heart with, and therefore, I'm still giving room for this thing getting out of control. Okay, so. That's good. Next question is, how important is intimacy in a marriage? What if there isn't any intimacy? 
Intimacy is very, very important in a marriage. Um, at our core, we all want to be loved and to love. Marriage intimacy at its fullest embraces several expressions, friendship, affection, and passion. You need to focus on the friendship and the affection, and then the intimacy will be a result of it. You swip, swip, switch it around? Switch it around. Switch it around, and you focus on the intimacy without the friendship and the affection. You won't have the intimacy that you could so easily have. So focus on the first two, and the intimacy will be a result. A, a book recommendation is, I haven't read this book, but I've, my husband has. So um, Sex Experiment, Seven Days of Sex. It is a true book. We're going to reference some books when we're going through this. Honey, this happened, and you didn't even know it. Oh, my God. Okay, um, we're gonna reference. We're gonna reference some books. We're gonna reference some books, and I apologize. You don't have like a little plain piece of paper to write notes in it, but find a spot to write down some of the books that maybe you go. That'd be a good one to read. Obviously, the Bible's gonna be the basis, so we're not gonna recommend any books that don't have a biblical base to them. That's right. And it's a good idea sometimes to read extra books regarding your relationships and your marriage and how to how to stay single in a healthy whole way. But this book here is called Sex Experiment, Seven Days of Sex. All right. Here, here's another question kind of in the same groove. Uh, how do you get a husband and a wife on the same page for love? Uh, most husbands and wives, and here's the answer, don't talk about the things that need to be talked about in, 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 in the regards to sexual intimacy. And so what needs to happen then, obviously, is there needs to be a, a frank, open, honest, transparent conversation, communication. Awkward, right? Married people right. to talk about sex awkward on the table. Can that not be awkward? Okay, maybe not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, answer. So, you know, that whole friendship, affection thing, or foundations, or keys, and then there's also understanding unique needs. you want to answer that? Yeah, understanding the unique needs of men and women um, can help each person to get on board with the intimacy in a relationship. Troy mentioned last week, and it's worth mentioning again, that women are like crockpots. And men are like microwaves. Okay, so a crock pot, you know, you can't just put your meat in there and it's done, ready to go. That's how women are, men. So for your wives, she's a crock pot. You need to get up and fix her breakfast every morning. You need to make sure that you have put a load of laundry in. You've done the dishes in the evening. Okay, is that not true? Women don't, that, that is like a, the complete turn on, see? That is true. They're like crock pots. And okay, you don't have to do all that, but you have to prime the pump. Yeah, but so you're telling me that when I go home and I rip my shirt off and I just walk around flexing for you, that's not working? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> does nothing. It's true. It's true. It's true. We all would right. much rather you warm us up all day long to have... Now, men, women are not like that. Very, very little maintenance with that. Anyway, um, women want to feel valued and men want to feel respected. Women want to feel valued, and men want to feel respected. So do the little things throughout the day that will add up to make for a great impact of intimacy. Learn about your spouse. Learn what trips or trigger. It takes, it takes work to have a good marriage, to have a health. It does take work. Um, read a book together. Um, someone has to initiate the growth. So, husband, if you're sitting here going, I wish she'd just get her act together so that we could have an intimate relationship, stop waiting for her. You get your act together and figure out what you can do right. Vice versa. Women, you do the same thing. Don't wait for him. You figure it out. Read a book. I read lots of books. I read all kinds of books about my marriage and all kinds of books how to help my kids, how to raise healthy kids. Some of the best books um, for marriages, a couple of them is uh, The Blessed Marriage. 
books for men are for men only and for women only by uh, Feldhaus, F-E-L-D-H-A-H-N. That's a good book. Um, I read one early on in my marriage. Well, not probably a few years into it, but it just ticked me off because it was so right. And it talked all about respecting a man. I didn't really want, I wanted to respect him, but I wanted him to behave proper. If he would behave, I would respect him. Okay, it doesn't work like that. You respect him, and then he does behave, okay? And this book was called uh, The Proper Care and Feeding of a Husband, and it, it nailed me. I'd read two chapters, and I'd throw it away and be like, ah, that's dumb. But it's true, okay? There's books out there, so don't wait for your mate to figure it out. You figure it out and watch what happens. Wow. Okay. Uh, here's another one. This is a tough one. Uh, I, I am trying to keep my marriage vows. He is sleeping with another woman but does not want a divorce, and in parentheses, kids would suffer emotionally and financially by separation, do I still sleep with him? Um, probably the, the real question or issue here is not about whether you should sleep with him or not. It might be a little bit grander than that, I think, as far as answering this question. Um, you have some, if that's you or you know somebody or you're kind of in a similar situation, you've got some hard choices to make, and I think they revolve around a couple things. Number one is, what boundaries do I need to establish in my life that's going to help me become what God created me, me to be, my kids to be, and my husband to be, all right? Because sometimes we allow things to happen in life that are actually counterproductive to actually becoming healthy and whole. In this kind of scenario, I would say there's some counterproductive, selfish kind of things going on here that need to be dealt with because wholeness is probably not going to come unless something changes, right? So boundaries first. The second one is will I, am I willing to endure a difficult, crazy situation for the potential of future health, okay? Like, whoa, that sounds pretty. Now, I wouldn't do that without the boundaries. I wouldn't do it without a come-to-Jesus meeting, all right? What that means is that some things have got to change, but I'm willing to be in a painful, difficult situation in hopes that somehow it would be restored. You have to make that decision. I think it's the, it's the I'm going to fight decision, all right? The other one is that, and I, I don't ever tend to go this way, is it time for a divorce, which I would never encourage anybody, if I can at all in any situation, every situation, discourage people from doing that, I will. But I have encouraged people in times of abuse, unfaithfulness, different times like that, that it might be a good time for some separation so that you can deal with what needs to be dealt with. And, and again, it's not the sleeping with part of it. There's other things going on in this particular question. And so, you know, uh, go ahead. I'll let you finish that little last part. Um, there. Again, like he said, every marriage is worth fighting for. And even in a situation like this, there's hope to restore the first, the first love and build a healthy relationship. So if you're in a hopeless situation, there's still hope. Mm -hmm. Is it work? Yeah, it's work. A book recommendation is called Love Dares. We, we did it a couple years ago, and it just gives, um, you know, every day you do something different to for show. For 40 days. For 40 days. You do something different to show love. It's just a practical, real easy, simple thing to do. Does Next question. Does premarital sex, and by the way, let me go back real quick. If, if you find yourself in that situation, I totally believe that if I would allow Jesus to have the rule and reign over my marriage and my life totally. I mean, we're talking totally, not kind of, that God can do things that you could never, ever remotely do. Okay? Let me just say that. So what you're, you might looking, be looking at an impossible situation relationally, it's not impossible with God. 
God can restore that. So just, I just feel like you need to go back and say that. Here, here's another question. Does, um, where am I here? Does premarital sex contribute to the increase of people getting married later, like in their 30s and 40s, or not ever getting married at all? And I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I've heard and read some different research that would say, yes, that's very true. But my personal opinion, and this is, and I underscore that, is yes, and it makes, more, it, makes it, it makes it more difficult to find healthy intimacy later. I've, I've watched that. I've seen that. We've wrestled with that because we didn't start off in the right way. And, and so watching people that are sexually active before marriage, it causes intimacy problems a lot of the times down the road for people that try to get married, okay? Just that, that I've seen a lot of times. Um, lost my train. Where am I at here? Uh, uh, also, those who remain pure tend to be anxious or look forward to getting married, whereas those who are physically active don't because they tend to have already opened up the package. I asked my daughter, we were in... Uh, um, Florida this week and last night, we, yesterday afternoon, I was swimming with sharks in the beaches of Florida. And then last night, we got off the plane at 10 o'clock, and here we were in Omaha. Whew, wow, what an experience. But anyway, so I'm asking my daughter. She remained pure until her marriage. And I said, hey, give me some insight for this question. And she said, well, hey, if, if, if you're pure, you're looking forward to marriage. If you're not, you're just kind of hoping it works out, maybe, kind of. And I thought, man, that's, that's some good insight from somebody that's actually been there, done that. And so just some heads up. So for all you young people in here, let me just give you this analogy, and I've given it, you know, lots of times. You've probably heard it before, but those of you that are young, not yet even maybe just in dating mode and considering marriage, think about two pieces of tape that you stick together. You stick those two pieces of tape together, and you pull them apart, and they're hard to get apart. You know what I'm talking about? Imagine that. You stick them together again, and you pull them apart, and you keep doing that over and over and over and over. After quite a few times, they lose their stickiness, don't they? God's intent for you in a sexual relationship, in a marriage, is that that first stickiness is when you get married. So if you're still young and you're still single, you have the opportunity to just wait for that stickiness to happen because it creates a stronger bond. Does that mean for those that maybe have made choices other than that, oh, well, there you go, I'm screwed now, I'll never have a great marriage? No, it doesn't mean that. Sorry, can I say that word? You already did. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, it doesn't mean that it just, it just means that you have to, it's a little bit more work. Okay. There's just a little bit more work. We know that we had to do a little bit more work, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You got the next one. I got the next one. Okay. If a married, if a, if a person does not marry until her forties, is she expected to remain sexually pure? The answer is yes. There's no age limit or time limit on sexual purity. And go back to the verse that Troy shared last week or the week before where he talked about how Paul was said, um, God gives to some a gift of singleness. Paul said, I wish you could all be single like me. And Paul was referring to the fact that he was able to do great things for God because he didn't have that commitment and that responsibility of a marriage relationship. So if you're still single, that, that goes to you. Pour yourself into God. What do you want to do through me? And you'll find your fulfillment. You won't be continually struggling with you know, the, the temptations of falling in and out, but, but chase after God and the plan that he has for you. I think it's important on this question to understand this thought. All of us married or single need to find our satisfaction in our identity with Jesus, okay? And, and here's why. Because if we're not spiritually satisfied, we will feel overwhelmed with urges and desires no matter who we are. And so it leaves us in this wanting mode. Jesus is satisfied is satisfi satisfaction. 
And so we need to understand that, and in, in even in the context of being married or in the context of singleness. If I can just get a hold of that one thought, that one idea, that Jesus said, hey, all you that are thirsty and burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. And really what he's saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to satisfy you. I am what you need. And so just to get a hold of that one concept will save you a lot of headache. Oh, man, I keep getting lost here. Uh, what is the definition of premarital sex? Uh, and there's a whole bunch of questions here. Uh, if, if you are engaged to be married, is premarital sex okay? Do I need a marriage ceremony or paper or rings, in quotes, to be married? Is being committed to each other enough, uh, like being, just being engaged or common law marriage? And, and the answer, any physical, uh, definition of premarital sex, any physical sexual activity outside of the marriage bed. Let me underline any physical sexual activity, all right? It's just not intercourse. It's all that it, that involves, you know, so you, you can understand that, I think. Um, it, uh, outside the married bed is considered to be premarital sex. Marriage is the joining together of a man and a woman with the blessing of God. The two shall become one. Listen to this statement. Sexual activity without God's seal upon it is union without blessing. All right? Think about that for just a second. So here's the deal. We live in a culture that everybody likes to have a ceremony, right? One of the things as a pastor that I struggle with a lot of times is I'm dealing with people that really just want a ceremony. They're not looking for blessing. They just want to go through the process of being married on paper and with rings, but they really didn't ever have blessing. And, and here's the deal. They can have union without blessing. So I ask the question whenever I deal with people that are thinking about getting married, I ask them one question. Do you really want God's blessing or you just want a ceremony? Because we can do either one. I mean, I'm cool with it because I know it's an opportunity for me to talk about the things that God has planned for people. And I'm, I, you know, that's cool. But I think it's better if you say, I want a blessing. I want God to go, yes, like that. And so if God's going to go, yes, to my relationship, then I need to commit to parity, which then I challenge people, no matter who they are in a marriage relationship, if you're serious about blessing, be serious about purity, because God blesses purity. That's that, and so that's kind of the, the answer there for that one. Uh, what if I, I plan to never get married? Does that mean I can never have sex? Uh, physical intercourse? No. Uh, intimacy at the level of friendship and affection? Yes, and it's still a choice. All right. What are you supposed to do when you're in a relationship and you've made it clear there will be no sex before marriage and they keep pushing you for it? Loser, boyfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> no. <laughs> really, though, the question that should be asked is, what do you value in this relationship? Do you value our future? Do you value me? Or do you just value the sex? Um, sex before marriage is a sign of immature love and shallow commitment. If a person really, really values you and God's blessing upon a marriage, they are willing to wait for what's best. Another question to ask yourself, is this the kind of character I want to spend the rest of my life with? I would also suggest that you consider if this person is respecting you and your desires. Respect is a characteristic that strengthens a relationship or a marriage. Now, next one, this, we grouped a bunch of, not a bunch, there's a handful of questions that were about homosexuality, and I... I I wrestled with these a lot because I wanted to be very sensitive, but yet very truthful. And so I spent a lot of time walking through this. And, and to be honest with you, it ended up becoming a page-long discourse, if you will, on just how maybe we view homosexuality, how God views it, how we should respond to it as a church, a body of Christ. 
what does a person do that's in the midst of that personally? How does that happen? So just, I'm just going to read this because I don't want to mess that up and I want to be sensitive. And by the way, I think the number one component for this whole thing is compassion, not judgment. I think God's heart is love first and then his holiness obviously is part of that. He's being patient with all of us at the same time. So here, here, here we go. Uh, is homosexuality wrong? And by the way, uh, write this down, Bible.org. There's a great article, a three, four, five-page article on homosexuality, questions and answers. If you want to go and dig a little bit more. And, oh, let me say this too. Not everything you Google that says biblical Christianity and homosexuality is actually biblical. Okay? Just, just know that. You know, it's kind of like Wikipedia. Not everything is what it say, says it is, all right? Okay, and so just know that you got to really kind of do a little bit of research to figure out, is this truly biblical, or is this somebody that's just using the word biblical and kind of throwing you for a curve? So here we go. So is, is it wrong? Is it sinful? Homosexual activity and premarital, and premarital or extramarital heterosexual activity are all sinful attempts to find sexual and emotional expressions in ways that God never intended. All those in, in, a, in a group. Current popular thinking says that our behavior is determined by our environment or our genes or both. But the Bible gives us the dignity and responsibility and that, that doesn't have this mechanistic kind of view of life. God has invested in each one of us free will, the ability to make real significant choices. We can choose our responses to, influ to the influences of our lives or we can choose to let them control us. It's our choice. You know, and then we'll get to that. Biblically, homosexuality is clearly defined as a sinful distortion, among other distortions, of who we were created to be. First Corinthians chapter six it says, "Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Don't think that somehow it's." And again, going back to what we talked about earlier on in, in the series, those who indulge or give themselves to indulge in sexual sin or worship of idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people. I mean, there's this list. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So there's some behaviors that God's going, no, that's not what I intended for you. It's distortions. The real issue is not simply a lifestyle, but a broader spiritual disorder in our culture. Sexual orientation is predominantly a choice of the heart. The Bible is clear that marriage is for a man and a woman. Everything or anything else is a willful rejection of the design of God. It is never an approved or accepted behavior before God. There is no affirmation of homosexual behavior in the Bible. It is not some special form of normal sexuality. So here's another question. Does God then love everyone equally since he created them? How should the body of Christ respond to those who practice homosexuality? What do we do if we bring or want to bring or have gay friends want to bring them to church? And so let me try to answer that. God does love everyone equally. He does. He, he is madly in love with every person on the planet, no matter what they've been part of or what they are part of. But love is not the same as approval or connection or interaction. It's not the same. I can love someone deeply, but, the, but that does not mean that I accept their behavior or their choices. I can love a drug addict and still not accept or approve of his drug addiction. Sometimes, and hear this clear, clearly, love says no. Sometimes love says no. And so what's the answer? How, do I, how does the church respond? And here's the two words that I kept coming back to. It's compassion 
clarity. Compassion, clarity. Compassion without clarity leads to full acceptance and there's no accountability. Clarity without compassion leads to judgmentalism. It's just that. And so it has to be both. And I believe the first and foremost part of it is compassion. That God is in love with every person no matter who they are, what their orientation is, where they're at, and what stage of life. What, that, that doesn't matter. But clarity is also very valuable at the same time. We love everyone. So here at Southwoods, we love everyone no matter what the behavior or the background. But not every behavior or background is condoned or approved by God. I mean, that's just part of how we understand God to be. Love and full acceptance is not always the same thing. So we need to take our cues from the Lord Jesus. He didn't avoid sinners. He embraced them. He didn't didn't judge them. He invited them. that's, That's how Jesus responded. He ministered grace and compassion to them without ever compromising his commitment to holiness. That's us. That's what God wants us to do. And so we need to start by cultivating a humble heart, especially concerning the temptation to react with a judgmental attitude. So if your heart today is judgmental, I want to challenge you to check your heart because it should be compassionate. It should be, Lord, help me to love the way you love me because I wasn't all that in the bag of chips either, right, And, and where I'm wrestling with. So we need to take our cues. We need to raise the banner of what is right, not just focus on what is wrong. Just because what is designed goes array doesn't mean we should not encourage and empower people to live within God's design. Perhaps we should ask, how can we help marriages in our community and world succeed? And our goal at Southridge is for people to experience a life full of meaning. That's what we're trying to do. So here's another question. What about those who are preconditioned or have physical predispositions toward homosexuality. That's kind of the hot button right now. That's, I was made like this, right? Can you change how you are sexually? Some people say homosexuality is natural. Someone with a predisposition for homosexuality may fall into sin of the homosexual behavior much more easily than a person without it. But each of us alone is responsible for giving ourselves permission to cross over from temptation into sin. If I have parents who are overeaters genetically, I can have a bent towards overeating. And it might feel natural, right? But not be healthy and not be what God intended. Preconditions make it easier for us to sin in a particular area. They do not excuse the sin. We can draw a parallelism with alcoholism. Alcoholics often experience a generic and environmental precondition. In other words, even the smell for some alcoholics that are children of alcoholics, will excite or ignite something in them chemically, okay? So genetically or environmentally preconditioned, which makes it easier for them to fall into the sin of drunkenness. Is it a sin to want to drink? No, it is a sin to be a drunkard. So even though homosexual desire may feel natural, they are actually unnatural in relationship to God's intended purpose. So here's the answer, you know, to another part of that question. Sex orientation is often the product of my preconditioning. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Even in the case of the person that has a physical identity concern, if you will, there is still a choice. Yes, it is possible to have control over my natural desires with the help of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Last question. What do you do if you have homosexual attraction but you don't want to live that way? In other words, can, can I ever get free of this or it change? Or I mean, and, and yes. Each of us are affected by the fall of mankind differently. For some, it is a bent towards addictions. 
For some, it is an emotion that seems to control us, like anger or depression. And key is, what do I do with my bent? What do I do with my disposition? It's mine to do something with. What am I going to do? I mean, no matter, you know, not, we're not saying fair. Just that this is where I'm at. And so here's, here's some real simple instruction. Number one, surrender my brokenness to God. God, here's my brokenness. This is where I'm struggling. This is where I, I'm bent, and it sure does seem to call my name a lot. Okay? Number two, surround myself or surround yourself with people who will support you in the process of becoming who God created you to be. Three, separate yourself from the temptations that lure you in. For example, if you have an alcoholic genetic tendency, a bent, probably you being a bartender at the local bar would not be a good idea. All right? So you just have to have some common sense in that. So enough said. We'll move on. Next question is, what is the best way to approach your significant other about no longer having sex? Obviously, that's if you're not married. Okay? <laughs> right? Um, be honest about your desire to please God and to save yourself. The person that wrote that question, could you clarify? <laughs> no, no, just, just We know it's for a single person because a married person would never ask that question. Um, be honest about your desire to please God and save yourself from marriage. You need to be open, upfront, and honest about it. Um, take the high road. Take the high road as I want to honor God. Um, if they don't respect that, it might be time to reassess the relationship. Do you think it's possible to really forgive someone and continue to have a relationship after your loved one cheats on you? Why does someone cheat when you have, you have a great relationship? And uh, do I think it's possible? Yes, I definitely think it's possible. Do I think it's easy? Not necessarily. Matter of fact, probably not. I mean, forgiveness is never an easy thing. It's, it's a choice of the heart that says I want to forgive. And, and so you have to make a decision. Am I willing to fight for my relationship? That's first and foremost. Forgiveness is a choice. Trust is built. Forgiveness is a choice. Trust is built. And, uh, and so why do some people do that or engage in that? Here's my own personal opinion. I think this is true is that some people don't pay attention to the little things and find themselves in dangerous places. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And so we don't give attention to some of the little things. Like, for example, I, I, mean, I, I, I don't go out and do meals with single women. I don't do counseling with single women with nobody in office. I mean, it, there's just, I, I don't allow certain things to happen because I don't want to put myself in those kind of positions. It's the little things. Watch the little things because those little things are what spoil the vine. Next question is, how do I know when to walk away from a relationship? You have to ask yourself some hard questions. If you're contemplating whether a dating relationship you are in is healthy, you have to ask yourself, is this person helping or hurting my relationship with God? Are, are they controlling? Are they jealous? Are they abusive? Do they have God-honoring character? It won't ma magically change at the marriage ceremony. Some people think that perhaps it will, that eventually I'll just get married and all those things that drive me crazy about them will be gone. Wrong. That didn't happen. <laughs> I was always perfect. <laughs> do the people, do, do another good thing to ask when you're dating somebody that you're not sure if you're really supposed to be dating them, do the people who really love you approve of the relationship? That's a great thing to ask. I mean, if you're young and you're dating somebody and your close friends and your parents and your family are going, what are you doing? That's probably a sure sign. Even though you might be hard-headed and stubborn, you might want to yield to their advice. Um, the next thing is if you're contemplating whether your marriage is done. Um, as a rule, we always try to avoid, the, to avoid divorce. 
you have to do everything within our power to restore and resolve the relationship before divorce. Early on in our marriage, and we bumped heads a lot early on. Um, we had a lot of this stuff. I mean, we had unfaithfulness in our marriage. We had all kinds of issues. We were far from Christ. And we chose early on not to even say the word divorce. The D word never came out of our mouths. Now, once in a while, I'll admit it went through my head because things were crazy. But I never wanted to say it out loud because then it seemed easier to embrace if I kept saying it. So if you're in a marriage today that you're saying, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'd like to just be done with it. Do everything else you can before you choose to be done with it. Everything else that you can. It says, next question, I had sex before marriage, but recommitted my life to Christ. I decided I would no longer have sex before marriage, but men know my history and expect it. What do I do? Um, real simple answer is you just need to make that decision part of your public decision. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm living a different life. I'm going a different direction. I'm living out loud my faith. And, and let people know that. Don't be ashamed of it. Be proud of that. Because what you're doing is better than what you were part of before. There's, there's hope there. There's life there. And so live it out, you know, and keep going and being a part of that. Oh, do that last little bit there. Um, talk about when Jesus uh, met the woman who was caught in adultery. They brought her to Jesus' feet and threw her down and wanted him to really just chastise her. And all he said to her was, go and sin no more. So if you've been in unhealthy relationships sexually... You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. That's what Jesus would say to you if he was sitting here today. We're going to have the worship team go ahead and come up. We're going to close with these last two questions. Um, sex has slowly broken me piece by piece since high school in relationships. My last relationship had potential for marriage, but sex be began breaking the relationship until it was no more. I have been in emotional pain for almost a year. I have never felt fully forgiven by God, myself, or the person I hurt. Will I ever feel forgiven? And I say to you today, if you have asked to be forgiven, you are forgiven. Your feelings may tell you something different, and that just you just realize when your feelings tell you something different that you don't really see God's forgiveness for what he truly does do when he forgives you. So that, that forgiveness is there, and you are forgiven. God's wanting more than anything for you to find true freedom. Last question. Is it possible... And, and let's, just, let's just make the assumption that this person's kind of speaking for a lot of us. Is it possible to have the best sex ever if you've already had sex? Meaning outside of what God designed it to be. And the, the answer is simply that, that God is more than able to give you a fresh start. Matter of fact, he wants to. And I, I love this about God because one of the verses that we shared the first week has just been coming alive to me as far as this whole thing conversation that we're having, all right? And here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And it's right after, actually, those verses, that verse that we read earlier about the list of things that are distortions. He says, some of you were once like that. That used to be your story. Your story was adultery. Your story was homosexuality. Your story was sinful, sexual, whatever. And that's, that was your story, premarital. He says, but then it goes on, but you were cleansed. You were cleansed. I love this picture because here's the deal. Jesus came and died on the cross to wash me clean of all the dirt, of all the junk in my life. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus does. And I can't explain to you exactly how it happens other than I know it happens spiritually by the power of God. 
that when I accept what he did on the cross for me, all of a sudden, somehow, some way, I am cleansed and washed of all the dirt and filth of all the stupid stuff that I did relationally in the past. That's Jesus. That's my king. That's my savior. He washes me. He makes me clean. And he goes on in the second part of that verse, it says he makes you holy. I love that. Not because you become some kind of super church person, but because now holy means I'm separated for your intended use. I'm separated for you, God. You cleanse me, and now I'm all yours. So you do in me what you want to do. You do in me the relationship thing the way you wanted it to be done. I want to be a part of that because that's a beautiful thing. And then it goes on. It says, you were made right with God. Now I'm in relationship with God. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's Jesus. I call, Lord, man, I'm dirty. Lord, I've got a mess. Lord, I've blown it. Lord, I've went the wrong way. And by the Spirit of God. And by the way, everything that we've talked about here today only happens not because I have great willpower, but because I have great surrender power. Not because somehow I can click my heels, snap my fingers, and say, boy, golly, I'm going to beat this thing. No, it's because you finally came to that point where you realize you're desperately broken, you humbly bow, and now you're completely available. That's how it happens. And so Lord, I think, wants to do that. Now, here's the deal. Jesus paid the price for your sin. He washes you clean. He makes you holy. But the consequences for many of us remain. Maybe you had a child out of wedlock. Maybe you were involved in premarital sex and maybe right now today that's where you're at that's and the consequences are happening and and you can't change what happened yesterday you can't change all that but i can say lord cleanse me make me holy and here's what happens the consequences many times can become a reminder of the grace of god that i'm changed i used to be like that but now i'm like this and god can do the same thing in you jennifer's going to pray and we'll be done Father, we thank you, Lord. Um, Thank you for your grace, God. We thank you that, Lord, you, only you, can help us to see the truth of our sexuality from your Bible, from your word of God, because everything else around us shouts different things that are contrary to truth and life. So, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. And, Lord, for those in here that are single today, God, we ask that you would continue to strengthen them by your Holy Spirit, that they would be passionately pursuing you, that, God, they would be seeking your face for guidance and direction in relationships, Lord, making them whole and complete, even in a single state, God, no matter what the age. We pray for marriages in here today, that every person that's married would hunger and thirst after you to find completeness in their relationship with you, Jesus. And we pray for the marriages to be strong, God. That we would strive to figure it out by the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you, lastly, for forgiveness. We thank you for a new, fresh start. That, God, old things are that. They're they're in the past. And today you have given us a new day to start. To start living in healthy relationships, God. In intimacy, God, in sexuality that would bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.